0: Conversations on Dance is proud to have Yumiko as a continued partner in 2021. Yumiko is a company inspired by beauty and standards. As a leader in the dancewear industry, they take great pride in their impact as a socially and environmentally conscious brand. This month, Yumiko introduced six new mesh tones available for all personalized pieces. And As a summer celebration, Yumiko is offering a special in-store discount to our New York City listeners. Show that you are subscribed to Conversations on Dance at checkout to receive a 10% discount on your in-store purchase. Visit umico.com for store hours, and be sure to follow along on Instagram, at Yumiko, to stay up to date. Special thanks to the Town of Vale for their support of the Vale Dance Festival and Conversations on Dance live podcast recordings. This episode was recorded at the Manor Vail Lodge.
2: Take part in the Vale Dance Festival from wherever you are. On Monday, August 9th, 2021, enjoy a live stream of the festival's closing evening now premieres. Featuring world premieres of works created at the festival, including the work discussed in this episode, the full evening will be available to stream on Veil Dance Festival's YouTube channel for a week. Be sure to follow Veil Dance Festival on social media for more information. Welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro.
0: And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. Rebecca and I are both former dancers with the Miami City Ballet and we now host the podcast Conversations on Dance. We've been hosting these festival forums since the festival opened last week and we will be doing talks like these every morning until the end of the festival this Monday.
2: And we see so many familiar faces. We know a lot of you have joined us um, during this time through the festival. If you have missed any or you want to tell some of your friends, all of these recordings go up on our website and on our podcast feed. Probably like the next day, and so if you're interested, you can access those wherever you get your podcasts or on our website. We have some cards out at the front if you want to grab one for more information.
0: So today we are joined by uh, New York City Ballet pianist Cameron Grant. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: My pleasure. So, Um,
0: Um, Cameron, can you tell us a little bit about how you first became interested in music and if it was always oriented towards the piano?
1: Well, it was always... With the piano, uh, it was a sort of a strange story because my oldest brother, who I have three older brothers, and he was singing in a boys' choir, and he was so, he's uh, A1 type A, I mean, <laughs> over the top for enthusiasm for everything. And the conductor, who happened to be Antonia Brico, I don't know if you know her name, but she was the first woman to conduct the New York Philharmonic. Mm. And she had moved to Denver thinking, I think, that she might be appointed the conductor of the Denver Symphony mm-hmm. and, and ended up founding her own orchestra. Anyway, she's, she saw him and said, "Come, bring me that kid. You know? I want to teach you piano. Cause she, and then she taught him and he ended up actually playing trombone. And my next brother, she said, okay, and he's ready now. (laughs) Next one. (laughs) He played trumpet, he quit piano right away. And then my next brother, and then finally me, and I was at five, she said, okay, if he's ready for school, he's ready to take piano. Uh So I studied with her in Denver through high school. She also taught Judy Collins. Judy Collins was her most famous Uh student who actually made the movie about her, which is Mm a fascinating movie. And so I just kept going. And then when it came time to choose a college, I said, well, the only thing I can really do well is play the piano. So I guess I'll <laughs> do that for a living. So you didn't,
0: when you, when you were training, you weren't necessarily thinking about a career. It just kind of naturally happened. You weren't always like, this is the goal. No. <laughs>
1: no. I was. She had, huh. she had in, with her orchestra, We we played concertos mm-hmm. with her orchestra, a wow. few of us, mm-hmm. when we were... Kids and uh, wow, so we got, and she also had a recital series in her house mm-hmm. uh, every year. So we, I played a solo recital from when I was about eight till 18. Mm-hmm.
2: Wow,
1: so there was that training, that performance training. Mm-hmm.
2: And what about your brothers? Did they stick with piano? Did they stick with music and instruments?
1: No, mm-hmm. my, well, my oldest brother. Even though he, he went to Harvard B-School and then was recruited by IBM, he's continued to play trombone in Dixieland groups, and that's oh. how he kind of made a living through, through college. Oh, very good. You know, and he still plays gigs. He's yeah. 78, but he's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love
0: it. Can you tell us a little bit more about your training? I mean, I think we talk plenty on our podcast about how hardcore dancers have to be in, in the number of hours and the discipline. What was that experience like for you as a pianist?
1: Well, I would say through high school, the most I probably ever practiced was a couple hours a day. Mm -hmm. And then I got to New England Conservatory, and you walk down the hall and you go, oh, I see. (laughs) (laughs) This is piano playing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, okay, I better, you know. And from then on, it was, uh, you know, double that. Mm -hmm. And we, it was kind of a competition to find an open piano. Uh People would literally run down the hall if somebody walked out of a room. Uh Uh, But... You know you'd finish classes or this or that, and then you'd you know go over and practice from like eight eight at night till the building closed at midnight wow. and that that pretty much summed up you know the next forty or forty five years i mean <laughs> even at the ballet i would you know when I was doing the rehearsal job and the solos and the orchestra job mm-hmm. I would every time I had a break i'd go to the to the basement and practice you know wow. so It kind of keeps going, right? Yeah.
2: We heard our audience was treated to you rehearsing just this morning, right before we started. So, what a treat. It's always something to practice. (laughs) So, during this time, what were your career goals? What did you have in mind for your next steps within the piano world?
1: Well, I was, my focus, I think, was always on collaboration. I enjoyed, you know, being part of the team. And when I was doing a lot of chamber music with a violinist, with a cellist, I'd moved to New York after I got a master's degree mm-hmm. just because a friend of mine said, well, if you're going to be a musician, you should move to New York. So mm-hmm. I went, good idea. So, <laughs> and you just, you, know, you just do what you have to do and you meet people and uh, doors open all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you're ready to walk through, mm-hmm. somebody says, oh, I know somebody who you know, you should try to play with. So I did that, and then I was doing new music with New York New Music Ensemble and running around for every kind of uh, freelance job. And then a friend of mine who was friends with Gordon Belsner, who was head of the piano department, and Balanchine's pianist, said to me one day, he said, I think they're looking for another pianist. So I went and played for Gordon, and he hired me, and I thought... I couldn't possibly do this job by myself, so I was in a duo piano team with another guy who was fantastic pianist, is a fantastic pianist, and I, Gordon said, well, we'll hire you, and then I said, well, I can't really do the whole job. Can I? Can we split one job? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we did that. We split the job for a while, but ultimately that was not working out because you lose, if you skip a day in the ballet, you might go from a kind of basic rudimentary rehearsal Two days later, it might be ready for the stage. Mm -hmm. And if you miss the in-between rehearsal and then you go to the stage rehearsal, you're not comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I ultimately, uh, after about four years of that, we had an American Music Festival. Mm -hmm. And I worked with uh, Heather and Jock on Sonatas and Interludes, which is a very cute piece with prepared piano that Dick Tanner did. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just was it just made sense at that point to go full-time. Right. So, yeah.
0: When you first joined the New York City Ballet team, um, it was, you were saying it was after you are kind of taking all these freelance gigs. So you, you take this job. Was there a moment where you thought, like, that could be long-term? Could you have imagined that you would be there for 40 years, essentially?
1: Well, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but uh, I, when I was splitting the job, my favorite day of the year was the last day of work because I was always, <laughs> work was always a struggle, you mm-hmm. know, and those, those, the end of the Balanchine ballerina era, mm-hmm. there were some tough broads, you know, so <laughs> including, including Heather, <laughs> you know, who, if you didn't, if you weren't doing it right, she would let you know. Mm-hmm. Huh? And I, I don't think I did it right for a number of years, mm-hmm. but <laughs> when I went full time, I really got into the flow and I also started playing... Solos, which is exciting, right? So, at that point, I was kind of in it. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel like I'd be a bad host if I didn't ask for a couple of anecdotes about these ballerinas.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I I I don't have particular stories except when I first joined, back in the smoking days. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh my gosh! And pianists would have. I mean, dancers, everybody would have. uh, You could still smoke in the studio? Yeah. (laughs) And one day I was sitting there kind of quaking because it was a rehearsal with Heather. (laughs) And she came in with red high tops and a lit cigarette in her hand and started the rehearsal. (laughs) And I thought, this is cool. Uh, You know, I mean, uh, and they just, they knew so much. Mm -hmm. And Balanchine had just died.
2: Mm. so everybody was grumpy Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm.
1: and so it was a it it was a learning curve but once i got into the flow Mm -hmm. it was satisfying because you start working with people and then they start realizing that they can depend on you Mm -hmm. because that's crucial for them they they can't go out on stage and say, oh, my God, what tempo is he going to take tonight? Right. Although yeah. they have probably said that with me a few times. <laughs> <laughs> so one um,
0: component that must have been pretty new for you was teaching for class. You know, at the New York City Ballet, it's famous that Balanchine, you know, really wanted the music to come first. But the, kind of the only time in the day where it really is the flip is for class. You know, dancers need it to be exactly like this so that we warm up our body in a specific way. Um, what was that adjustment like for you?
1: Well, I was one of the few people who never played class. No way. So. Because when I joined, I, I said to Gordon, I said, I've never played mm-hmm. a class, single class. Oh, no problem. We've got lots of people who huh. play class, uh-huh. and so I never learned. And it was probably, you know, a detriment, really, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you see all these steps in a kind of natural tempo right. in class. Uh, but I learned... In the heat of the battle, right.
2: <laughs> so you mentioned that you joined right around the time that Balanchine had just passed away. And of course, Jerome Robbins was still working within the company. Um, and so what are some of the ballets that you worked with him directly on? Any of his ballets?
1: Oh, I worked on a bunch. Yeah. Uh, I worked on Goldberg, which was an experience. I did uh, In the Night. I did The Concert, which was actually, that was, that. there's a little... Anecdote, you have a good
2: story from that, I think,
1: because we were, we were. I'd done it a lot, and uh, he was doing the usual. It was like every time we did that ballet, it was he was thrilled mm-hmm. watching it and tweaking little things and coaching. <laughs> you know, even though he'd seen it a hundred times, but he really got into it. And I said to him, "You know, you've never coached me on that opening where the pianist comes in and does the whole shtick and glares at the audience." And he actually did a couple of new things. But J.P. was there, and after Jerry left, J.P. said, ugh don't do those ah! <laughs> because they, they, they really weren't as good as the original. Right. Oh, but it was funny. still kind of thrilling to have him <laughs> say, you know, no, try this, Drum you know, Robins. but he, he also, <laughs> the first time that I played it uh-huh. and everybody in Robbins' presence was petrified because mm-hmm. he was a taskmaster to put it nicely. Mm-hmm. And I was done with the f- rehearsal. I was like worn out because every rehearsal with him, you were just wrung out. Mm-hmm. And he looked across the stage at me and he said, and tonight you'll have a mustache. <gasps> uh. I said, okay. What, you know, I figured I'd, I'd figure it out because I wasn't going to ask him, how does that work? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> so sorry. So I went to the wardrobe guy mm-hmm. and he said, well, let's fit you with a mustache. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was good because I think I tend to, be optimistic and you know have a smile a lot and he, that really wasn't optimal for coming on stage with uh-huh. uh in the concert right. because m- one of the guys that was there who was fantastic, Jerry Zimmerman, when he first started doing the concert and he was the original, so he and he had this kind of afro f- uh, blonde hair uh-huh. and he also had attitude that right. was just fantastic <laughs> so he'd come out with this and he would look come walk out this dia- long diagonal to the piano and look at the audience like you guys are not worthy to hear what i have to offer uh-huh. <laughs> which was so good yeah for the role right, right i could right. never quite bring that off but but uh that was that was perfect for that ballet
2: i'm I'm thinking also in that ballet um, When the What is it? The Angry Girl? What is it?
1: Angry Girl Angry Girl
2: So there's a moment Where one of the dancers comes And she sits at the piano with you And she has her hand up on the Or her elbow up on the piano And she's like staring at you Right? And like look very close to you Like that's the comedy of it What is that like for you As a pianist in that position? Does it make you nervous To have someone looking at you So
1: closely? It wasn't so much nervous I was always afraid I'd laugh Mm -hmm.
2: Because they are funny Because
1: she She does this whole bit and then comes and goes boom (laughs) stares right at you Mm -hmm. and michelle gifford if you know her Mm -hmm. was was the angry girl at at one point Mm -hmm. and uh she would always try to make me laugh in Mm -hmm. rehearsal or something and i said come on michelle i've got to do that i (laughs) want to be able to actually turn and kind of look horrified but that I never tried it because I would start to laugh which (laughs) would wreck it right yeah so I said I finally you know summoned the courage I'm going to look at Michelle so I looked over at her like oh my god you know what are you doing here and I just as I turned back she went not bad (gasps) at that point I was away from the audience Uh and I just kind
0: of "Hmm."
2: (laughs) oh that's so so funny
0: so there are other ballets where you're kind of more involved in um just beyond playing uh, lauren lovett made a ballet here right. a few years ago that you were a pretty important part of um is that fun for you or is like to have that extra component or is that a, um a challenge
1: well in lauren's it was fun mm-hmm. you know she's she's such a delight to work with and uh but I think in general, I'd rather just stick to what I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know
1: I'm not a comedian and yeah. I'm not an actor. And, you know,
2: <laughs> so. Yeah. So back to um, Jerry for a second. You mentioned that sometimes in rehearsals you'd feel quite wrung out afterwards. I wonder how his rehearsal style differed from other people you were working with during that time.
1: It just depends on, I think, wh- how they think they can get the best results. Mm-hmm. Jerry was kind of obsessed all the time, and so he would just scream at people, except his principal dancers. Huh? They all have these wonderful memories. You mm-hmm. know, I love working with him. Everybody else is like, are you kidding? <laughs> 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 but, so he just kind of screamed at everybody. <laughs> uh, other people, I mean, it, it. The most of the ballet masters just are intense, but right. but not mean. Right. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I, I think they, you know, I mean, the exception, huge exception, was Alexei Ratmansky, mm-hmm. who, at every point in, in the choreographing of pictures at an exhibition, where I was at the piano for every minute of that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he was a gentleman to everybody mm-hmm. all day, all day long.
2: He's wonderful.
1: So, and he gets results. He's, he will rehearse until mm-hmm. he gets what he wants, right. but he does it in this genteel gentle you know helpful manner Mm -hmm. you know i remember when he did tyler peck's solo we rehearsed that it's probably a minute and a half yeah we rehearsed it for an hour yeah and she danced for a lot of that wow right just trying to tweak and every time she'd do something that he asked for then he'd come back either you know Right then or the next day and say, okay, now that you're turning three times, can you, you know, put your arm up in the air or, yeah. you know, he he always added another layer,
2: mm.
1: but, uh, he treated everybody incredibly well mm. Mm. Yeah.
2: That just makes me think, talking about being um, at the ground floor for a piece like that. How is that different when you're there from every single hour of a rehearsal process and a creation process versus when you come in and play something like a Balanchine repertoire that's already established and already choreographed?
1: Well, it's, it's great to be there from the beginning mm-hmm. because then they get used to your timing. Mm-hmm. Mm. And when we started Pictures, uh, Alexi said, well, I've been listening to... Uh, a specific recording and I said well that's, that's probably great but the best recording is Richter mm-hmm. in 1948 mm-hmm. at, in Sofia and he said okay I'll listen to that so he came back the next day and I based my interpretation on Richter's and, but anyway when you were even doing that it became my own mm-hmm. and then they get used to you they trust you and then if performances are a little caffeinated or whatever, or <laughs> slow, you know, they, they know your, your, your style, your rubato. Right, right. right.
0: So Balanchine famously picked beautiful music for his ballets. You know, he was a musician himself and um, understood music in a way that maybe no other choreographer did before or after. <clears throat> Um, but he would shy away from certain works that he considered to be too good to choreograph to, like most Bach, most, be- uh, most Mozart. He never chore- choreographed to Beethoven. Um, or like for Tchaikovsky, he picked the second piano concerto, not the first. Do you ever feel like you're missing out on some of these like real, real masterworks?
1: Well, if you're in that business, you're not going to play certain pieces. Mm-hmm. you know. And I think he just felt like, you know, what are you going to add to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony mm-hmm. if there isn't mm-hmm. anything, right? right? So, uh, I mean, I'm in, the, I'm in the business of the ballet and collaboration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when it's the final product, the music that may not be Tchaikovsky's top tier mm-hmm. works great when you have the, the visual with right. it, mm-hmm. you know, in the dancing. And he was so savvy about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking about
0: a question we asked Caroline Shaw yesterday mm-hmm. um, that I wanted to get your take on as well. We we've talked a lot. We've talked a lot on the pod about how um, dance is very hard to record in terms of writing, and it has to be passed down person to person. But we were just kind of wondering, like, yes, you have sheet music, but what about the intention behind that? Mm-hmm. Like, when you're playing um, Tchaikovsky's Second Piano Concerto, how do you know what he wanted it to sound like?
1: You mean Tchaikovsky, or yeah? <laughs> yeah. Like how
0: do you go back? Like in the way that we try to get, like when Heather's telling us what Balanchine's intentions are. Like, yes, you can. You have the note on the sheet, oh, but I see, like the interpretation of that.
1: Well, you just hope that you have all you know years and years and thousands of hours of practicing mm-hmm. and immersion in a certain style mm-hmm. that you you just and then you just keep looking at the score, you know. Uh, Richter's probably my favorite pianist, and he said once when he switched from playing by memory to playing with the music, and he memorized, you know, f- just piles mm-hmm. of music. Wow. But he switched at one point to, and he said, you know, you really can't remember all that's down in the score <laughs> when you're playing <laughs> by memory. <Yeah. laughs> that's true. And that's the guy who, you know, knew everything of Bach, Beethoven, and Mozart. Mm-hmm. So.
2: So you've mentioned collaboration a few times in our conversation so far. Um, And in the up-close performance the other evening, we got to see a little taste of what rehearsal process is like for you when you're playing the piano. There's stops and starts. And, you know, there's often a ballet mistress saying, let's take it from across the floor at the beginning. So how do you kind of collaborate within the rehearsal process and then also kind of have this understanding of, okay, we need to go from X spot in the choreography and how do you translate that into your, where you are in the music.
1: Well, there's a tradition of putting in marks mm-hmm. like PK or bourree all in, in the music. Mm-hmm. So you can hopefully catch that w- where they want to start mm-hmm. fairly quickly and keep the rehearsal process moving along. Right. And then you, then you, you know, it's just from being there a lot, you start to discover that, you know, if it's a teaching rehearsal, mm-hmm you're probably not going to play the tempo that they're going to hear later. Mm, Yeah. Right. Uh, And then as they get better into it, then you just naturally move the tempo a little faster.
2: That's such an advantage. We didn't always have that at Miami city ballet, have the privilege of having a pianist in the rehearsal process. So we would have to learn and be right on whatever the tape tempo was. So that's something for dancers that maybe audience members don't think about that. That's so helpful in rehearsals. Yeah, definitely.
0: So with, dancers, of course, there's a range of their musicality and their musical needs. Um, from cast to cast, do you find yourself kind of using a similar bass, or will you adjust per dancer?
1: Oh, I think you do adjust, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely. Not, not a lot, mm-hmm. hopefully.
2: <laughs> but, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, sometimes the original cast knows something so incredibly well and have done probably... Fifteen performances mm. of it, and then mm. somebody else gets put in. Chances are you're not going to be able to take as fast a tempo as you did with the original right. mm. cast. But that's the that's the gig. Right. You know? <laughs>
0: yeah. So um, kind of a similar um, idea with choreographers. I'm sure there's a range of their musical understandings. Like, um, are there choreographers who you've ever thought maybe? We're distorting the musical intention of that composer. Does that ever affect what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> you, don't name names,
1: do you? No, you don't mean to name names, but I'm no. sure,
0: like you have choreographers like Alexi that you, that you feel like have this deep respect for what they're doing, and then sometimes you inherently you know more about music than the person in the front of the room. Does that ever get <laughs> tricky for you?
1: All the time, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I, I mean. The the problem is if Balanchine knew a lot about music, right. structure of music, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not many people do uh, mm-hmm. who are not musicians. And I, the, the thing that I think they should think about is that, you know, if you go to the, let's say, the Modern Art Museum, mm-hmm. right, and you look at a Jackson Pollock a hundred times, mm-hmm. you think you know the painting, right? But then if a docent comes along and explains the process, and then let's say Jackson Pollock walked in and said, here's what I was thinking, right? It would be a whole different level of understanding the painting. And choreographers often stop at the hundred visits. Mm -hmm. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. They've seen it a lot. They've listened to the music, you know, all day long. But if a composer or somebody comes along and says, here's the structure,
2: Mm.
1: here's what he was trying to say, it would be a deeper level of choreography but somebody has to convince them of that I
2: guess <laughs> does anyone ever come to you and discuss the music with you and ever want to kind of go through some of those like sure. docent like conversations yeah
1: people yeah. have yeah I mean I've I've worked with uh, Dick Tanner and Chris Wielden and Alexi and Peter Martins and outside people mm-hmm. Robbie and Robbie LaFosse doing concertos I did a lot with Chris and I did a lot with Dick Tanner and Dick mm-hmm. Tanner reads music so Mm -hmm. you know it helps because he can come over and say let's start here and stuff yeah
0: we won't make you name names for worst choreographer but then how about how about most (laughs) musical choreographer you have ever had the
1: chance to work with Uh, uh, well robbins was pretty darn musical and alexi Mm. is incredibly musical
2: yeah
1: i don't know where he he has a son who's a composer Mm -hmm. And I don't know what his training is in music, but boy, does he make a lot of good
2: decisions. (laughs) Um, So thinking about performing now, as dancers, we have such a coveted performance routine that we do before we get ready for a show. Um, And we know exactly what that entails, but what are your rituals kind of like, and how do they differ from ballet to ballet?
1: Well, I just, I spend a a lot of time practicing. Mm -hmm. And ideally, I'd probably... Practice the pieces in the morning, then Mm -hmm. do the rehearsals, and then go back before the show and, you know, kind of get it all squared away in my head. Mm -hmm. It's hard sometimes, like in Vail, to have a ritual because sometimes you don't know what piano you might be warming up on. Mm -hmm. Right, So. It's a little trickier, but
2: yeah, like we were saying before we started, like for ballet dancers, we can just be on the side of the stage warming up, but we could hear you if you're warming up on the side of the stage. <laughs> right. So you need to find it. I did discover
1: something though last year, the year before when I, I realized that Kate has this soundtrack. Going on right outside uh-huh. pretty loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 And I could actually go to the pit and kind of warm up without anybody oh. but in the first three rows hearing
2: there. me. Oh, very good. So I
1: said, okay, I'm going <laughs> to find a solution to this. Yeah. <laughs> That's <good. laughs> What's the
0: range of your warm-up routine, though? I mean, because you think about dancers, like if we're doing Nutcracker and we're doing, let's say, side Spanish, as we call it, you're just going to crack your toes and go out there. <laughs> but if you're doing human variations, you're going to do, you know, like an hour prep before you go out
1: there. Right. I don't have any set routine. Mm -hmm. I I pretty much just go over the music that I have for that night.
2: Mm -hmm. Thinking about Veil, are there any challenges uh, pertaining to the altitude here? We know a lot of the challenges for dancers. Do you have any of those altitude challenges for you as well? Well, I like
1: to think I don't because I grew up in Denver, but Mm. I still, I, this past week, I, you know, I, I, four o'clock would roll around and I go, wow, I could really use a (laughs) nap. So I don't know whether that's because of my age or because of Vail. Leave that up in the air. (laughs) Uh, Let's
0: talk a little bit about your time here at Vail. Um, You obviously, you performed so extensively with the New York City Ballet, but they have a specific rep. Um, do you get an opportunity out here to do things you would not otherwise get to?
1: Yeah, generally, and with people that I don't uh, haven't played with, except for here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very exciting thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Brooklyn Rider is just awesomely. All four of those guys are awesomely talented. Right. Yeah. yeah, you know. And then, like, we did a little thing with Kate when I, a couple years ago, and mm-hmm. it's just it's it's a wonderful pool of musical talent. And then. Some of the pieces are just, they're fun to to do. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get up on stage and get to be a part of the ballet. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, what is one of the most challenging things that you've ever had to play?
1: Well, I, I would say uh, Goldberg is the, it's an hour and 15 minutes out there by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I did it a lot of times and very rarely did I ever stand backstage right before and say, oh, there's no problem. No. <laughs> you know, it's like every time I went, oh, my God, here we go. <laughs> right. Yeah. And because it's it's long and it's really, it gets harder at the end. And, yeah. But dances at a gathering is the same way. It's, mm-hmm. it's so really much. hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So you, last time you told us that Goldberg uh, is
0: your favorite thing to play, do you do you tend to favor things that are an extreme challenge? Oh, I
1: love the challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, I went through a transformation that was fun with, pictures at an exhibition, because I heard Richter play that in Symphony Hall in Boston in 1969 or 70, mm-hmm. and he was only in the States for two years, and then he kind of mm-hmm. got hemmed in by the government. Mm-hmm. But the, he, his playing and his playing that day was so monumental mm-hmm. That I, it's the only piece I've ever felt like, I, there's no way I can play this piece. You know, mm. it's just, because I, I had his in my mind. So it felt like this huge mountain that I was never going to climb. And even as the premiere came along, I was still really nervous and really apprehensive. But it went fine, and then, we, then it was programmed and programmed and programmed. And then, you know, two years later, I, I was like this isn't so hard you <laughs> know, because you've done it so yeah, much yeah, and you right? know where the, where the traps are. So yeah. yeah. What are some of the things you'll be playing here at Vail? Uh, well, I'm playing the Agon on de on piano and then I'm playing Romeo and Juliet balcony scene, uh, with Nick chords, the violist, viol and piano transcription. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> but Nick is fantastic. And, uh, After the Rain, which is a very special Mm. piece and and ballet, Uh, and then the up-close stuff, Mm -hmm. which was very fluid (laughs) 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 until the night of the show. (laughs) That's how
0: it goes. Um, So for something like Romeo and Juliet, obviously that's a huge orchestral moment. Um, How are you... How do you approach it differently from, you know, the Chopin that's meant for piano only? Like, do you have to, do you feel like you have to fill the space differently when it's
1: just you and the viola? Oh, yeah. You have, you have two challenges. You don't want to bury the violist, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But you want it to sound as much as you can, like an orchestra, not Mm -hmm. like a piano piece. Mm -hmm. And just, I've been in the orchestra pianist for City Ballet for 20 some years. Mm -hmm. So I've sat in the orchestra with the orchestra sound around me. So it kind of is in there and my ear and my hands just kind of try to make it sound orchestral Mm. rather than this ping, ping, ping that you get with piano. Mm.
2: That's interesting. Um, Is there something, I can't believe that there might be, but is there something Mm -hmm. you haven't gotten to play yet that you really wish you could?
1: Ballet music? Mm -hmm. Ballet music, yeah. You know, when I stopped playing solos a few years back the only the only piece in the rep that i wished i'd played more was uh, alexi's uh shostakovich piano concerto number no. two mm. which is i think a phenomenal ballet mm-hmm. and has one of the most beautiful slow movements yeah that i've that's out there mm-hmm. so i played it a few times but uh, Elaine Shelton and Susan Walters, who was the original and, mm-hmm. who, and who played it great, played dances the other night. and mm-hmm. in the night. Uh, for some reason, they didn't want to just hand it to me. I can't, en- dare <laughs> can't understand why, but anyway, I was kind of third in line there and I, yeah. I slipped in. I it was a particular season where they had other stuff yeah. and I kind of begged, said, yeah. can I please play oh. this a few times? Oh, they were generous. Yeah. Do you have... Uh, certain
0: composers that you feel a real affinity for within your rep?
1: Well, I think every pianist feels like Chopin is because mm-hmm. it's written so well for the piano. Mm-hmm. No, I don't, I don't, you know, I like, I probably do better in noty kind of notey things than big, lush, mm-hmm. you know, uh, pa- pastoral sort of painting mm-hmm. piano pieces.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the Goldberg goes in that category. Right, right, right. You know, it's very. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
2: So just before we wrap up, um, you are a very important part of the Veil Dance Festival. What makes you want to come back year after year and participate in this festival? Especially because it seems like your relationship with Heather has shifted over all the years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's, I love her. She's, yeah. she's great. And we do these, like we did a talk at VMS earlier mm-hmm. in the weekend, you know, that, she would say, oh, let's don't do that. Let's do this. Let's say, do you have the music for that? And she, it was always just shifting because that's how her mind works. But mm-hmm. once you're there and you know what you're going to play, or the, at least the odds are in favor that you know, <laughs> then when she tells a story, it's so she's so emotionally engaged in what she did and her relationship to Balanchine and stuff. Mm. You always learn something. You always hear a story that moves you. And, uh, I mean, that's a reason to... To come back. And Damien's brain is going a mile a minute. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's fun to, to kind of see what's coming down the road. And then also just the other musicians make mm. it worth coming back because right. they're awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I think at this point we
0: can open it to the audience for any questions you might have, Johnna.
2: Um how you relate to the different
0: conductors. I know the New York City Ballet has many different conductors. And I'm also aware uh, <laughs> that there was a, a dialogue between Andrew Lytton and the dancers about tempos. And um, I think Andrew Litton came out finally the event saying, I'm a, I'm a famous conductor. I've done this with many very famous orchestras and I know how this music is supposed to be played and the dancers were struggling with that and of course you're playing with all these different conductors and then you're where do you come out in the middle of these
1: different dialogues?
2: Ooh. <laughs>
1: how do I edit this answer? <laughs> if the conductor's smart they, they realize pretty soon that it, you can't do your ideal version as a mm-hmm. conductor mm-hmm. because something has been choreographed a certain tempo you can't you you can't change it you can tweak it and you can sometimes you know move it in one direction or the other according to what a dancer can do but you know if you're doing some really fast PK circle that dancer's not going to be able to go faster than a certain speed mm-hmm. so what like, when Gordon Belsner said to me uh, that I was going to go into dances at a gathering, I said, "But oh my God, it's got all this, you know, it's pushed. The music is pushed around and pulled here and pulled there." And he said, "Well, learn the sort of learn the ballet, and then what they need, and then perform it. Hmm. So you have to learn what's what I like about rehearsals <clears throat> is that." You, were, if you're in there every day, and the dancer saying, "Oh, you know, that's too fast, too fast," or, you know, can it move a little here? And you start to learn all those you, how the road goes, mm-hmm. and also you learn. And you know, at least for my mind, I would always know certain place. Don't get too fast, or don't get too slow. Mm-hmm. But then it's a, it's sort of a matter of trust because once they trust that you're not going to leave them in the side of the road. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> They'll go with you, you know, and they'll dance to what you're doing Mm -hmm. unless it's off the charts. And if you've been there a few years, it shouldn't be Mm -hmm. that crazy. But I remember when I played dances for the first time, I was so nervous. And I think it was the speed of light. You know, I just was like, but what's funny was the cast with Damien and and uh, Kira Nichols and, you know, all these vets who were by that time bored (laughs) <laughs> with dances at a gathering. But Jerry hated changing casts or changing mm-hmm. pianos. You know, he just wanted what he knew because mm-hmm. he kind of beat into the, oh, you what, what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I came backstage expecting everybody to go, oh, my God, what were you thinking? And they were all like, woo, okay, this is going to be something tonight, you know. And <laughs> so they, ah. But they, could all, they all knew it so well, they just flew around the stage. And they were happy to get done a little sooner, I think.
2: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> it, just this question made me think about um, something uh, with Miami City Ballet, because we did Rachmaninoff's Symphonic <laughs> Dances uh-huh. by Alexei Romansky and New York City Ballet does the version by Peter Martins. And so the New York City Ballet Orchestra played for us when we came to New York. Right. And I remember seeing symphonic dances like a year prior uh-huh. and panicking that the conductor, like if, if, if it's going to be like that, if the orchestra is like so used to that version, I was like, we're going to, it won't work. We're, we're going to just enter the stage. Mm-hmm. So it is like of paramount importance that the conductor, you know, shifts per whatever that the needs of the dancers and the choreography are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
2: That's interesting. Yes. If you're
0: doing a piano transcription of an orchestral piece, do you have a favorite conductor that you like to listen to in terms of setting the tempos the way you talked about Listening to Richter's
1: version of the piano. Well, if you're if it's something that's already been if it's already if it's an existing ballet, you just listen to the archival recordings of of City Ballet. Mm-hmm. You know, Robert Irving was head and shoulders basically above everybody else who's conducted there. Not only because he worked with Balanchine and Robbins all the time, but he was really a good conductor and knew how to get the most out of the orchestra as well as he always kept the dancers kind of on the edge mm-hmm. but he didn't he didn't push it too much. But mm-hmm. he had a sense about what would be exciting. And so we listened to that. I mean, you can listen to Von Karian or Abato or these people, but it's not gonna match what you have to do.
2: Mm-hmm. That makes me think too, we we're talking about this with Caroline Shaw. We did an interview with her the other day. It'll be coming out on our podcast later, but Whenever I would want to download a music from a ballet, I download the orchestra version and it's always the tempo is totally different than what we would do for ballet. And I always feel like the orchestra plays it how they would want to play it in a recording like that. Is there ever any particular piece that you have to play at a tempo that you're like, oh, I don't like this. It doesn't sound right, but it's what the dancers need.
1: Well, it you know, some of the Chopin that Mm -hmm. that Mm Robbins choreographed uh, is slower than. And also, you know, pulled, pushed and pulled a little bit, mm-hmm. and you'd never do that in a show. Right. But he was such a master at combining the two, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you know, whether it was West Side Story or mm-hmm. Chopin, right. that you don't notice that because mm-hmm. it just works. Right. 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 I mean, even when you look at like Serenade, uh-huh. you know, that's slower than any orchestra would play it. Right. Right. But it's kind of good. It kind of works. Kinda good. <laughs> so, and that's one, that's actually one where a conductor thinks that they want to, you know, I can't do it this speed. But when it's actually as slow as Balanchine wanted it, it's magical because mm-hmm. all of those long lifts, they have time. They don't have to. Right. And also, second movement of Barocco. Ah. I mean, that's glacial.
2: Yeah, it really is. <laughs> but.
1: You know, when you look at all that weaving and all Mm -hmm. of that, it's stunning. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: I I love that you brought up Chopin, because that's, to me, the one example. Like, as a dancer, we always seek out the music, and I learned the giggle dance after everyone. So I was trying to, like, catch up, and I could not find a single recording that wasn't, like, to me, psychotically fast. (laughs) And I could never learn the choreography that way. It had to be with the pianist in the room.
1: Well, what What made playing Robin's ballets hard is that... He generally took the fast things one click or two clicks slower than mm. you'd perform it, which made mm. it much harder. Right. Because oh. wanted, he, wanted, he said to Gordon, before he played the first performance of Dances at a Gathering, he said, just like class, baby, just like class. <gasps> which, of course, is horrifying to a piano. <laughs> right? You don't want to play Chopin like metronomic. Right. right. But he knew Gordon, and Gordon knew... Jerry and, uh, and I'm sure Gordon, mm-hmm. Gordon was incapable of playing anything metronomic it was just so incredibly musical but he did his best yeah. and when you hear it, you hear that recording it sounds like he's it's totally predictable but he still managed this musicality
0: mm-hmm. yeah. right here yes. he, <clears throat> there are several retirements coming up uh, among principal dancers do you ever adjust your music as a function
1: of maybe a capability that a dancer doesn't quite have right now at that time? Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and speaking of that, retirements, I was just saying to my wife last night that we, we, did, we rehearsed after the rain and normal tempo. But when Jock, that was the last thing on Jock's mm-hmm. retirement. Yeah. And it, that tempo that night was so slow <laughs> Because nobody wanted Jock to be leaving, right? Mm-hmm. So the last piece oh. was stretched out <laughs> because it was like Wendy. Nobody wanted, you know, right. it to be his last performance. Right. <laughs> In the back yes. here, um, are you at liberty to
0: reveal what Robin would have liked you to do with the concert with
1: the the- You know, Ooh. I don't even. I'd, I'd love to. <laughs> I, I I didn't remember because as soon as <laughs> as soon as uh, J P said, "I'll." Forget it. <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of went out of my mind. Is
2: the way you work with for the very creation of a new work.
1: No. Mm. The closest I came was I was in there when he did the West Side Story version for City Ballet. Mm. And uh, I got to say, the rehearsals right before the show were amazing. I mean, everybody was so keyed up intense, and that dance at the gym I mean if dance could be threatening it was you know, those two gangs moving at each other it was phenomenal man.
2: very cool
0: hi um, I am curious about when you're in the pit what percentage of time
2: are you in the pit with the orchestra or sometimes are there valleys where you are not required to be there Mm -hmm. Um, and also if you are there and you're playing say just accompanying a dancer by yourself on the piano do you depend solely on the director or do you have a monitor can you see great question Mm
1: -hmm. well first of all the rep doesn't have it varies season to season how much I'm down there Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but uh, there's no there's no monitor so like in a Concerto, you, you're kind of at the, uh, at the mercy of the conductor, and they hope, you hope they, they know what they're doing, uh, which most of the time they do. <laughs> <laughs> and then you do a piece like Tchaikovsky uh, PC2. Uh, you've rehearsed those piano cadenzas uh, enough with a dancer that you just kind of stick to the, what you've done you can't see them, but you're imagining. But I did, for a while, we had a music director who had it in his mind that he wanted the piano in in the Koch Theater. Up on the side, mm-hmm. where the solos are, he wanted it for concertos, uh-huh. which didn't really work. Mm-hmm. But I played PC2 up there once with Ashley Bowder, and she's so musical, and I could see her. Mm-hmm. So all of these things that we needed to coordinate... Uh-huh. I just glanced over and we nailed all those things. Uh It was was a blast, that performance.
2: Because that's funny that you said that about that particular ballet, because that's what came to mind, because the conductor stops conducting at that moment, right, when you're doing your solo. So it's really just you imagining it. Right. That's interesting. At Miami City Ballet, they had monitors down. So it's Uh, not. Yeah. yeah. So maybe not uncommon or unheard of, at least. No. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I'm wondering. Dancers obviously, adrenaline is a huge part of our performing um, experience. Uh, and so, for a dancer relying on you in that moment in the cadenza, that's a famously really hard part for the ballerina. Mm-hmm. Um, has your adrenaline ever gotten the best of you, and you kind of go faster than you would have expected? Or what, what's your
1: personal? I'm experience? pretty. I have a lot of. I have, I have a lot of adrenaline. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I'm guessing that most of, especially the first couple of times I play a ballet it's elevated a little mm-hmm. I just hope that they're up to it <laughs> <laughs> any other questions
2: Any questions anyone yes
0: my husband was a trombone player and I was a pianist do you ever play with your brother
1: <laughs> <laughs> I never do because I don't I don't play uh by ear and and that's all he does mm-hmm. and he plays Dixieland and stuff mm-hmm. but I I I've been to his shows and he's been to my shows. Many
2: times. <laughs> Very and good. Any others? No.
0: All right. Well, thank you all so much for jo- joining us. Cameron, thank you for coming. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. thank you. Special thank you to Tom Boyd for producing this episode.